and all that we need to know to kind of trace the whole Bible, whether you've been raised in church or this is your first Sunday here, to understand the whole arc and the trajectory is right here in Genesis 1 through 3, which is where we're at and why we're calling it the story. And so we believe that Genesis is going to provide a foundation for how FCBC thinks about God, ourselves, and this world that we live in. Today's text that Rebecca read makes us look squarely at what God has to say to us about us. We're highlighting the sixth day of creation account where God creates man and woman. And we get a chance to see the world before the world that we have made a mess of. And it is the goal of this sermon. Here's kind of the gist, the sermon in a nutshell, that we would recognize this God who created us is the same God who blesses us in Genesis 1.28 and actually now begins to commend to us His plan, His design of what it means to be a human so that you would be satisfied and delighted in Him. God created, God celebrated, and now He's commending it to you so that you can find your satisfaction and identity in who He is. So this story is written to change your story. Just think about how foundational the topic of humanity is to your life. Out of what worldview, out of what story do you answer these questions? Think with me. What does it mean to be a human? What is it that makes humans distinct from the rest of creation? What makes a human different than angels? What makes a human different than animals? Are human beings of intrinsically more worth than an ape? Is gender a defining part of who we are as human beings? Should we think of gender as a social construct that is fluid along a spectrum, or is gender binary, attached to our sex as either male or female? Got your attention, right? Answering these questions in our present national terrain is not easy. For most in our country, this challenging moment is a source of momentous contention. Some argue that we should do away with gender altogether. Others argue that we should take a hard turn back to the world from which we once came. And for some, personal pronouns are a matter of private preference and others believe that your gender identity should always coincide with one's biological sex. All I am saying here in the introduction is this. There is contention in this challenging moment because there is confusion on what it means to be a human. Just look at the headlines of the newspaper. I'm going to give you three. In the course of a couple of months, we have heard, first of all, in January, that Harris breaks the barrier on race and gender. Well, there, the paper is celebrating a rather traditionalist view of the ordinary connection between one's gender and one's biological sex. The newspaper is saying, celebrate that we have a woman as a vice president. Traditional. But then we hear Dr. Rachel Levine is the new Assistant Secretary of Health, and she is a transgender person. We have one who is born male, but prefers to identify as a woman. It's impossible to watch the Olympics this year without realizing the question of gender was before us even in sports, as one who was born a male in terms of biological sex could safely and legally compete at the highest level and athletic competitions that have been reserved historically for those born of a female biology, right? So here's the confusion in the newspaper. One week, celebrate a traditional understanding of gender. Next week, celebrate an individual's break with gender. Third week, right? That blurs the line not only of gender, but one's biological sex. Man, we are living in a culture that is confused and it is challenging, and I believe all of us feel that we are just swimming in the wake of it, which is why we need to hear from God's Word on this point. God has a will for how we should live, 
that he has made inherently obvious in some ways in his creation. And yet today, our world wants to ignore that, or to use Romans 1, suppress that. So we want to stop and consider more carefully what God has to say about this. What we're really trying to do is use this verse that you guys grew up memorizing. Is Dennis Lohman here? Maybe he's out there. Hey, there he is, Dennis. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths, even when it comes to humanity, gender, and roles. Faith family, it is tempting to want to just pick and choose different parts of Scripture that you want to agree with from God's Word, depending upon how you've been culturally influenced. But the doctrine of humanity is this sweater Think of it as a thread that might be out there, and if you were to pull just one thread, the whole thing becomes unraveled. The Bible is asking us, based upon its authority, that if you distort the beautiful God-reflecting image of male and female, right? you distort what the Bible has to say about that, then we will eventually desert what God says about men and women. So this text is going to bring us right in full view about what God has to say about us, and he says it right to us in regards to what is the image of man, and what does it have to do with gender? Those are the two questions we're going to ask this morning. What does it mean to be made in the image of God, and what does this have to do with gender? I think those are the two primary aspects of the image of God that this text highlights, and so we'll take them each in turn. First, what does it mean to be in the image of God? We learn right off the bat in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, that all human beings are made in the image of God. Hear it again. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? I think to fully answer that, it kind of gets teased out in the rest of Scripture. You need the rest of what the Bible has to say about it because defining the image of God does not kind of have those firm semantic boundaries like a big Bible word justification. Justification is a word that you can look up in the dictionary and go, this is what it means. But the word image is a word that's more picturesque. So I want you to keep in mind two things as you think about this word image. They're both ours. Reflection and representation. Reflection and representation. You want to think of the word image as both a noun and a verb, right? A noun and a verb. It has to do with our form, and it has to do with how we function. Like the rest of creation, we learned last week, right? God forms days one through three, and then there's, he fills it in days four through six, and so we have the form here. Let us make man in our image, noun, God wants to make us in his image. But then the rest of the verse says, and let them have dominion over the creation. Verb, our function. It deals with both who we are and how we are to live that out. Let me go from the principle to the personal. Here's what it means. I am made in the likeness of God, and so are you. Our form reflects his. In other words, we are referential creatures. We refer back to God. So think of yourself as a statue. And you refer back to somebody famous in history. That's what a statue does, right? You look at that and go, oh, that reminds me of. And so God has all these little statues around to reflect and point back to who he is. Actually, the word image is the word idol. It's used later in the Bible. And we're not allowed to make anything in God's own image because he has made us in his image and we are to be that statue for all the world to see. Pointing back to God. Which also reminds us this. Hey, guess what? We're not the original. It's really important to understand who you are. You are not original. We are derived from God and we are to reflect him and that's to be seen in how we function, how we represent him as I rule over his creation. I am his representative because God created first. Three times in our verse we hear God created. 
Verse 27, so God created, last next phrase, in the image of God, he created, male and female, he created. What's it trying to get across? And this is God's world. It's his reality. He's inviting you into it as his image bearers, but it's all his. And we are to image him also three times in our text. Verse 26, let us make man in our image. 27, in his own image, in the image of God. So what does all that mean? Wow. Regardless of how you feel about yourself this morning, form. Regardless of what you think your purpose in life is, function. God has created you to outshine all that he created with his shared glory. God is sharing with you his shared glory. Our call to worship, we heard it in Psalms 8, 5 through 6. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. If there's one thing to walk away with this morning, it's this. The image of God in you is the emphasis of God creating you. It's a central idea. As God tells you about you is that, here it is in one word, one of the words of our nine words that changes your life is that you are in the image of God. That has profound implications for us this morning. Let me just kind of tease out some applications. It deals with who are you? Who am I? I mean, when you think about that, according to Genesis 1, it means that I am made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. And did you notice, friends, that we learn that all humans are made in the image of God before we even learn their names? When do we learn the names of the very first two humans? Chapter 2. Chapter 2, which means that being a God imager comes before any of the particulars about your identity. It is the foundation of who you are. So here it is. God's image should govern over everything else about us. How are we tempted not to do that? Oh, my friends, at times my parental identity comes to the front. My national identity comes to the front. My ethnic identity. My sexual identity. My professional identity. Oh, you're a pastor. All of those can be tempted to elevate to the point that that's how I define myself. But God's image is there first before we even know their names to ground us at very first foundational level. We are made in the image of God. Faith family, do your bumper stickers reflect that? I'm not joking. Your Facebook post, does it reflect that you see yourself first foundational as an image bearer, not as a Republican, not as a Democrat. It, it changes even how you, you consider yourself. Are you finding your identity in the image of God, or are you making your own identity out of your gender, race, nationality, sexuality? That question is not only meant to correct you, it is also meant to captivate your imagination because I want to persuade you this morning to exchange your identity based on your roles and your performance for an identity that can be given to you by God. An identity that is self-made for an identity that is God-given. Oh, my friend, being made in the image of God ought to encourage you this morning. Let me descend from the theological heights to matters of practicality. The Bible says this. No matter who you are, where you are from, what your record is, it doesn't even matter what you have done in your life, every human being is made in the image of God. Therefore, there is rock-solid, objective irreducible glory, significance, worth, and value about you and every human being. That's the storyline of the Bible. For a second, compare that with what the world wants to offer you and see which story you want to live in. Objective, 
irreducible glory, regal status from God, that you're his divine representative and that you, before you do anything, are in the image of God and worth something. Compare that to self-affirmation, self-identification, and how fragile that is. Today, there are safe spaces needed at universities because people can be triggered by microaggressions. And so I ask you, has self-affirmation and self-identification given you the stability that it promised, or has it made victimhood an actual status? God has bestowed on us the image of God And so every single person is of inestimable value, not based upon what you have done and the fragility of the moment or what you feel to be true about yourself. It is objective. It is real. And so now Christians operate from that worldview, and we would say this, no wonder we are to honor and cherish every single person. No wonder we are to lift each other up as we get beaten and battered in this world. No wonder we are to respect each individual, every person, no matter how aged, sick, poor, regardless of skin color, or how well their brain functions. They still have regal status of being a divine image bearer and should be treated with love and respect. No wonder Bible-believing Christians oppose sexism racism, nationalism, age discrimination, social class, and murder. We oppose those because we believe that person is made in the image of God. But isn't it interesting that whenever we try to find our identity outside of what God says we are, based upon my performance, self-justification, based upon my self-affirmation, based upon my self-identification, did you know that when you begin to find your identity outside of God, that every form of discrimination follows? Because in order to lift me up, i got to put you down. And so when I want to find my identity in this race, When I want to find my identity in this gender or in my profession, I got to look down on everybody that isn't like me. And so hence, racism, sexism, nationalism, etc. My non-Christian friend, if you are already fuming at this part of the service, I just want to say I haven't even gotten to the parts I think are going to make you the most mad. (laughs) It's kind of funny, but I want you to know this. Even if you disagree with me wholeheartedly right now, You are safe here. You are in no danger because we believe that you are made in the image of God even if you disagree with us. So to dismiss you or to diminish you because you don't share my gender, my skin color, my social, or even my religion is to put myself above God and say, God, I don't care that that person is made in your image. You will always be safe here because we believe the Bible to be true. But let me ask you, non-Christian, if you are here and you do not ground human worth and rights in the image of God, you don't believe that God exists, maybe you believe that we evolved, how do you ground human worth and rights? What makes a human being worthy of protection, equality, We love freedom these days, equality and rights. Great. What's your justification for them? Can you ditch divinity and still maintain human dignity? Let me put it to you on the practical level. In other words, why not be cruel? I would encourage you to look at the quotes on the first page. Yes, in a church, we have quoted at least three non-Christians on the first page of our worship booklet because those non-Christians were honest enough to admit that when you deny the status as God's image bearers, we, sit, we soon begin to depreciate all of human life. You can see it, that you deny the image of God and you just think that human beings are a higher form of an animal. Guess what? We begin to treat people as animals. Let me get specific. Deny the image of God, 
and you get abortion. Euthanasia. Sexism. Spousal abuse. Pornography. But unlike the secular worldview, we are asking you to consider Genesis 1, 26 through 27 and to see the beauty of human flourishing. Dignity and worth and protection for all. My non-Christian friend, would you consider that with man in charge, the circle is always going to get smaller of who is worthy of rights and protection. But when you operate from a biblical worldview, Dignity, rights, worth, value expands to all because God created all humans, male and female, in His image. Which brings us to our next question. What about gender? Take a look at verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice in this verse that humankind is created as one creation, but with two different, yet equally glorious, distinguishable persons. There's male and female. It is underscored feature in this text that part of our gender actually is part of the image of God. We are said to be like God, not only in that he gives us rule, but also in how we have this vibrant, dynamic, relational plurality between men and women. And it reflects God because he's triune, right? Just as there is but one God who exists in the plurality of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, so we too, one creation, Distinguishable persons reflecting the plurality and the unity of God's nature. Friends, without the distinctions inherent in male and female, we would not be capable of revealing the plurality of God's essence and his persons. Let me bring it down to you. Gender is not just functional. Okay, that's how we procreate. And so people today say, well, we don't actually need men and women to come together anymore. We have technology. Your gender is not just functional. What we are getting at here in Genesis 1 is that your gender is also theological. It expresses something true about God. A plurality and a unity. A equality and a distinction. And I know that has all kinds of implications for human sexuality. We're not going to touch on that today. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks' time. But we're going to here look front and center at the image of God in one's biological sex and gender. Questions regarding one's biological sex and gender are literally before us every single day in the news. And it should be, parents, undoubtedly a point of conversation at every dinner table. It is good to slow down and provide a beginning foundation for us as a church on how to learn to think from God's word about these things. We might as well do it here. We call ourselves a faith family where there is love and care for one another. First, notice it is not only men that are made in the image of God. Both male and female are equally in the image of God. And the Hebrew uses words to make sure you know that. Right off the bat, the Hebrew word says this. Notice the first phrase, let us make man in our image. That word man there is a generic word that is used for humankind. Then we have two separate Hebrew words that say, and he created them male and female, two distinct human beings, male and female equally made in the image of God. The Bible wants you to know there's a distinction. So second, Notice that we had no mention of sexual distinction in the animals. He created all kinds of animals. Never does he stop and say, I created a male this and a female that. Just, he created animals. And unlike, you know, the animals, God here begins to highlight that part of what it means to be a human is our sexual differentiation. Male and female refer to one's biological sex. By those terms, we are talking about the reproductive equipment that you were given by God at birth. 
So two distinct human beings, male and female, equally in the image of God, finally. Notice this text moves from God creating us to God blessing us. Look at 28. And God blessed them. Unlike the animals, God speaks directly to them equally as men and women. He's going to go on and tell them what to do together. And the point I want to make here is there's something to be said from this text about the necessity as a faith family to continue to think in terms of male and female, man and woman. Remember, the image of God bestowed on creation was in the form of two distinct persons with distinguishable differences. And the reasons for male and female in creating becomes clear when we see what this blessing was for. Verse 28, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Two sexes, not one, not none, are required to fulfill God's plan in this world. Without two sexes, humanity cannot actually sustain its own presence in the world where we are to accomplish his rule over the world. Male and female are required. It's necessary. So form, we are equally in the image of God, is connected to function, propagation, rule, which means that we are required to continue to speak in terms of male and female. It is a mistake to do away with male and female because it inherently undermines the purpose and plans God has for reflecting his beauty and his ruling over creation. Now, I know that what I just said runs countercultural to everything you've heard in the world in which we are living. And it is something for you to consider and to interact with and something that I would ask you to use to correct your current understanding if it's been more influenced by the world than the word. And at times, we have to be corrected about how we feel about ourselves. If that is you, I'd love a chance to talk with you, and so would anybody here. And I hope that you find this church as a place of compassion for anyone and everyone here. If you are confused by the world, differentiating between sex and gender, here's the most basic question we want you to ask. Instead of trying to define who you are by how do I feel, your question should be, what does God say about me? The question we want you to consider is not, how do I feel? The question I want you to consider is, what does God say about me? Remember, God welcomes us into his reality of his making. We are creatures of this creator. The good news is, we don't have to figure this all out on our own because God has spoken. And so our identity as humans is not discovered by looking within the self on how you feel, nor is it constructed by the self, but it is revealed to the self by God. Unfortunately, a sexual ideology, not a science, has taken captive of the world and changed everything that we know. I'm sure you feel the stress of how our world has changed, and they have changed it, the world, by changing our words. And in large part, they've succeeded. What was universally condemned is now celebrated, and what was universally celebrated must now be condemned. So understand that what I've just taught from God's Word is outdated, perhaps misinformed, intellectually backwards, intolerant, and maybe you even think that I hate you. For many in the world today, compassion means that your mind should never be challenged. For many today, all of our conversations are only supposed to help confirm someone else's personal choice. Good for you. The Bible won't allow that of any of us. Now, it is true there are a lot of ways to handle this conversation poorly. If I have done so, talk to me after the service. I'd love to learn how to do it better. But my friends, the Bible will not allow me to redefine love. Love cannot embrace what God rejects. 
in love will not allow me to reject others who are made in his image. It's both, it's a double-edged sword. So if you're here and you're not operating from a biblical worldview, I cannot, out of love, redefine what love means and to actually accept what God rejects. But on the other side, church, love will not allow me to reject others that are made in the image of God. And faith family, perhaps that is where we can be grateful for the sexual revolution. Yes, grateful. Is there something to be grateful for? Sure. If it has shown us as a church where we have shamed and mocked others, made in his image with whom we disagree, then great. We are glad to see how we have been inconsistent with what we say and how we actually treat people. That is a good thing for that to be exposed. We can repent and we can change our ways. Faith, I mean, let me just give it to you in a different way so you're not thinking about sex for the moment. Here it is. Would you laugh at a drowning man? Would you laugh at a drowning man who was in that predicament because of his drunkenness, his own fault? I don't think so. I, I know this church, and I know that, man, there are so many here that would just run right in and try to rescue him. And the Bible says that we are all born under sin. And sin rushes into chaos and rebellion, drunkenness whatever it is. But we know as good Bible students that it's not just them out there. No, it is all of humanity that has been born into this universal conspiracy to suppress the truth in unrighteousness so that we can try to live our own way and be our own God and be independent. All of us have exchanged the truth for a lie. All of us have tried to keep that beach ball under the water suppressed and it desperately wants to get out and we are restless trying to live our own life against the grain of resting on the surface in the presence of God. Which means this, that when you look out across humanity, just realize that the rebellion du jour is just suppressing the creator over creation when it comes to areas of sex, gender, and sexuality. We've all done it. This is just the most popular way to do it right now. But if you're a young person, let me just remind you of this. To image yourself autonomous, independent from a creator God, and to reject his purpose for your life, established by the creator, is not maturity, nor is it enlightenment. It is actually the supreme mark of rebellion. If you're here as a Christ follower, the humility that should come over you right now is this. The only reason you are not swept up in this current is because of the grace of God. Christians, we have nothing to boast about. There is no room for superiority. There is no room for mocking. Not here. That's not love. There is no room for teasing. But there is room for truth to the world's questions. What is gender? Is it fluid? Is it a social construct? Can we decide what it means? Does God even care? The answer is simple. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. The word of God is unequivocal on this issue. Gender is binary. You are either male or female, and a person's gender matches their birth sex. You may want to abandon God for the modern sexual ideology, but it is folly. Truth always runs on the path to freedom. Jesus says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. For a church, it's a lot of head knowledge. I can see you guys are swimming. And it's a good foundation to have today to get this head knowledge. But let me just break it down for us in a couple of other ways that might hurt. And I'm going to risk it in here. 
I'm probably going to need some phone calls and some emails this week to talk all of this out and to learn together. But once you have the head knowledge, we need to actually address the heart. Here's the question. Now that you know what the Bible says about it, do you want to actually make male and female gender roles seem plausible to the world? Not just you know what you are against, but faith, family, can you show what you are for? Let me say that again. I know a lot of us have chapters and verses for all that we are against. But can you show them what you are for? In other words, are you taking your Christ-likeness seriously? In other words, are you being discipled in what it means to be a man and a woman, a husband and a father, a wife and a mother, a single I don't think we should ask the world to do anything that we are unwilling to demand of ourselves. So let me attempt some areas I've been convicted on. I would suggest buckling up. As Christians, when it comes to asking others caught up in the sexual revolution to submit their feelings, to conform their feelings to God's plan and design, right? Because they feel that they are a woman trapped in a man's body, right? So that feeling, that sentence, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, is plausible because feelings now have a greater authority than reality. How I feel is more important than what my gender and reality actually says. Feelings are the authority, not institutions, not creeds. Look within. Decide for yourself. How do you feel? Okay. Don't ask anything of them. We're not willing to ask of ourselves. Faith family, are you denying your feelings to take up your cross and follow Christ? Do we all have feelings that are feelings that we should crucify and conform to the image of Christ? You know, I just don't feel like being married. I don't feel like I can do this anymore. And now we're telling them, you shouldn't listen to your feelings. You should align with who God has made you. Friends, we must show the beauty and joy of denying lustful feelings for God's faithful love. When it comes to gender, men, are you reflecting God's image in your male roles as protector and provider for the good of others in their flourishing? Or men, are you trying to serve yourself first either by abusing or fleeing, whether to work or the woods? It doesn't matter. The Bible would say this, men, whenever authority is abused, God is lied about. You're representing and reflecting him. Is that coming out in your male given roles by God? Women, how are you trying to serve yourself first? Where are you distorting the picture of who God is? Because we are his image bearers. Everything we do says something about him. Ladies, are you reflecting the Trinity? How you're holding equality and worth? with yet freedom and joy and distinct roles that complement each other to build the whole. Teens, I was thinking about how much we are asking of how a transgender person operates. And I was thinking about this for teens. Teens, try this on. Talk to me afterwards. See if this fits. Teens, you live with the possibility at your fingertips to create a virtual online identity. Somebody that you feel yourself to be and you can recreate basically your own avatar. There are apps, men and women, to help teenagers take away every blemish and to represent themselves to the world looking like whatever. Amazing. And it just kind of struck me. And again, if I haven't thought through this good, talk to me afterwards. 
But is that not the same principle? We are trying to recreate ourselves based upon what we want to feel, what we want to put out there of who we think we really are when it doesn't always align up with reality. I have a blemish. I have a crooked tooth. I do. And to distort that with my online presence, friends, I think we might need to consider that as we're asking others in the world to say, hey, I know you want to present yourself as this, but in reality you're this. Well, are we comfortable as Christians, male and female, with our body image as it is, not as we want it to be? I was convicted in thinking about this in all of the GIFs that I use, GIFs. I love when to pick, I was telling the kids today, we were laughing about this, I always pick the black guy. I don't know what it is. I grew up in D.C., all my friends were black, and I'm like, when I choose a GIF or something funny, I'm like picking the black guy to represent me. That's not reality. <laughs> I've even said in the past, when I die and go to heaven, I hope I get dreadlocks and I'm a black man. I mean, that would be so cool. I grew up with a soccer coach that was Jamaican who was black and had dreadlocks. And I think I still want to image myself like that. Even in GIFs. Is that too much information for you? I'm just kind of, probably. Irrelevant. Michael Foos is going, is there a escape clause? Okay. <laughs> I just want to think through how some of the things that we think are innocent actually give a distorted picture to others about what is a healthy male, a healthy female, and how we do some of the same things. All right, let's wrap it up. The truth is that humans flourish when we work with the grain of God's reality, not against it. The reality is you were made by God and for God. I believe every Christian here believes that. You were made by God and for God, and we were made in His image. And God reveals who we are so that you don't have to build your life on the shifting sands of how you feel and how you perform. Amen? Amen. You are just declared to be a son and daughter based upon His performance and what He thinks about you, not whether you feel worthy of Him which grounds your identity and your confidence and allows you to stop looking in at how you feel and how you want to identify, and now you can look out to others with love because you already know what the king of the universe thinks about you. Enter into that story. And until we do, we will be restless as we suppress or deny that truth. The evil one hates all that is good. And all that does good to those made in his image. Don't think you're not in a spiritual battle in this issue. But God, welcome Pastor Pat back. But God looked at his design, male and female. He examined it for flaws. And what does he say in verse 31? And God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. You have an opportunity this morning to give yourself over to God's design by seeing in this text what God commends to you and what God celebrates himself. Can you imagine, faith family, getting to a point in your life when you could begin to commend as very good the very thing that God celebrates as very good? I hope so. So we gather here each week to commend to you and to celebrate what God celebrates. That which he creates and commends is the way that now I begin to think rightly about myself living under his word in this world. Let's stand and we will sing a classic hymn that I'm drawing a blank on. When I survey the wondrous cross, being made in the image of God grounds your responsibility to God. You are accountable to him, we are responsible to him, and the only right response is to give him glory. Perhaps we can sing the last verse a cappella. Thanks. All right. When I survey 
the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and a poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Love you, faith family. Love a chance to reach at the door. Be over here with any questions you might have. Consider this uh, deep topic of being made in the image of God. Encourage you this week to go reflecting Him and representing Him to the glory and praise of God's grace. You are dismissed.